You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos. I hate calling myself that. And underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hello and welcome to the Delirious Nomads podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bacon. Chris isn't with us this week, but I do have someone who I have admired and worked with and learned a lot from for a very long time, uh, my good friend, John Freeman. How are you today, John? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a dreary day here in New Jersey. Hopefully the weather's better for you out there in uh, Germany. But uh, yeah, thanks for great, man. It's great to... It's uh, not. It's not. Damn. Uh, great yeah. to uh, you know be here, and I appreciate you asking me to be on. Of course. John, you do PR, and you've had a lot of success in that space for a long time. But before, And I want to kind of get into the theory of PR with you and the concepts of promoting a band, but, but first I want to kind of, can you provide a little bit of backstory and like where you came from and how this started? Yeah, sure. Um, I started, uh, I did, you know, college radio in uh, North Carolina. I went to Appalachian state. I graduated from there. I started doing a metal show on a commercial radio station in, and that's in Boone, North Carolina. From the metal show, I got invited up to CMJ, which, you know, the college music journal conference. And then I met some folks, ended up getting a job, doing radio slash promo at SPV, which had an office in Red Bank, New Jersey. I'm originally from New Jersey, so I moved back up to New Jersey. I did that for about a year and a half. Then I ended up at another PR company, and you know I did that for about nine months, and that was a really good learning experience, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, I learned how to do a lot. And then uh, I decided when I had the opportunity, uh, you know, with some different colleagues and whatnot, that I could start my own thing. And it was uh, scary, but uh, it was definitely uh, worth it because uh, we've really, you know, expanded and succeeded and helped a lot of bands over the years. And uh, actually, this coming March, we're going to be celebrating 13 years of Freeman Promotions, which is pretty cool considering I started it when I was 26. So, yeah, here we are. That's wild. On the PR front, there's a few things I find interesting that I sort of run into and I want your insight on. I think first and foremost, where do you see the value of PR uh, in sort of the current climate? Like, like, what do you think are the most high value actions that you're bringing to the table? High value actions. Well, you know, it's, it's a lot of different things. I mean, right now, sure. uh, podcasts are very important. You know, 
know, the long form podcast, especially, you know, getting people interviewed, talking about their project and then getting it out there and not necessarily just like, here's a band, here's a record. You know, I mean, that's, that's how it was, but really now it's, what's the story? You have to talk to these guys and figure out what's going on behind it. What, what will make them appeal to the listener, to the reader? You know, it's not just like, again, Hey, Hey, we have a new song. It's like, what do you do? You know, a great example I can put out to you is this. Uh, we have a piece coming out today, actually, with CNN, uh, with Donald Tardy from Obituary. They have a new record coming out tomorrow. He actually rescues cats. He does uh, feral cat rescue that he does. It's called the Meow Militia. And uh, I had him link up with my guy at CNN, and they did a two, three-minute piece about it. And that's getting the guy from a death metal band into a totally different realm. Like this yeah. will go to CNN's news outlets. Like there's 1500 stations across the country and it also lives on CNN.com. So they're thinking people like that go to CNN.com. Hmm. Who's obituary. And it's, it's, that's really one thing that I've noticed is very important is getting outside of the box things and getting these people in front of people that may not know it because you're not preaching to the converted. You're a metal fan. I'm a metal fan. We've got to get the, the the core metal people, of course. But if we can get outside of it, that's what's really important. It's interesting to me that like that works, I guess, with something like Obituary, which is like not it's not Avenged Sevenfold, where you can like show Avenged Sevenfold to your dad and he'll be like, yeah, okay, this is cool, right? You know, so it's cool to me that you can like make that have an impact. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. And I don't, my dad probably wouldn't think Avenged Sevenfold is cool. My dad would probably think more of some of the progressive artists that I do are cool. Like he brought me up listening to Yes and stuff like that. Sure. So. That and you work with them, right? I know what you're saying. Uh, I have done some live yes stuff. I've done things like, you know, some offshoots with uh, Billy Sherwood and uh, some of his projects. And uh, yeah, I mean, really what's really cool with this company is we're able to kind of go all over the place. We've, we can yeah. do death metal. We can do, you know, classic rock heritage acts. Like we did Dennis DeYoung. Great stuff there. I mean, you know, former singer Sticks. So I can go from Dying Fetus to Sticks. And then back to Billy Vallow and, you know, talking about like on Day Palm Records, Catatonia, Devil Driver, like it's a very eclectic roster, if you will. And uh, it's it's worked very well. And I'm able to cross things over into different realms. Like it, sometimes I can get an artist like an L.A. Guns or a Striper in front of a younger crowd. And that's what's happening now is these parents are bringing their kids to the shows. Sure. And it's continuing to go from there. And I think the biggest example of that right now is uh, one of the clients that we've had for 13 years, and that would be the Almighty Guar. Yeah, of course. And I wanted to talk about this because what you've done with Guar is insane and a little bit hilarious and a little bit, I don't know, like the fact that you like consistently get Guar on CNN is the craziest thing ever to me it is and you know they've also been on fox news you know let's not forget uh odorous rest in peace was on um red eye like 13 times and then uh blothar has since been on uh gutfeld show but uh yeah we come up with a lot of great ideas and guar is fun to work with all my bands are great i love working with everybody uh with guar there's just little things we can do like and we can get creative again going back to the what's the story when the pandemic first hit, you know, everybody was trying to come up with ideas, come up with content. We we said, you know what, let's do something fun. And we called, we came up with a quarantine. 
And that's what happened. And then they literally interviewed Pustulus Maximus in his, you know, safe house from the quarantine, in his, which was actually him standing under like a surfboard in his backyard. But it was funny as hell. And people enjoyed it. You know, it, it kind of like in such a serious situation with the pandemic and everything. This kind of brought a little brevity to it. People were able to laugh and have fun with it. But yeah, Guar, they they always they they like to take the piss out of it. They have fun, but they're serious musicians. And I think we've kind of we've brought that across too because we're getting them the gear press and the things that they deserve: the guitar, the drums, those things as well. Because people see the costumes and they automatically think, "Oh, ha ha ha!" And yes, it is funny. And yes, we 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 do a lot of stuff with it. But they also need to be recognized for the fact that they're very serious musicians, musicians, excuse me, and artists. Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen, um, there's a documentary that just came out this past yeah. year called This Is Guar. And uh, yours truly was interviewed for it. So that was that was pretty cool. But it's just, it's, it's very nice to be a part of that story. And you can see, but like people are interested in Guar. There's something coming up that I'm not going to talk about on here yet. And it's going to blow everybody's mind. I think I might have told it to you. I believe so. A lot of mainstream coverage for Guard. And getting them out there is is just, it's it's interesting. I mean, hell, I had them on late night television. And that's not an easy get. People seem to think that late night television could be a, like a low-hanging fruit. But to get Guar on was really fucking awesome. They were on, um, you know, late night with Jimmy Fallon, like around Halloween. And it was just perfect. Um, yeah, we, there's just, there's an appeal to this band they are an amazing entity. I mean, there's just so much more to it. And now, like, you've seen it. You go to these shows, and I've seen parents bring in their kids. And the audiences are getting younger. Guar's playing with younger bands. And we've just continuously kept them out there. And when people, I think when they think Guar, they think Freeman Promotions, they kind of are interchangeable. But then, you know, there's so many other acts as well that we have. And it's just... Absolutely. And I think that like with what I wanted to say is I feel like to your point of Guar being more respected as musicians, I feel like in the last five years, especially people have really started to respect the band musically a lot more. I feel like the last like three records are like some of the best like Guar albums ever. Right. And something I think that we've done too, um, that we didn't really in the past, especially with the documentary is kind of break the third wall. Um, everything's yeah. always been in character people obviously know that there are people there and we everything i mean a lot of the interviews and stuff are in character and that's what's fun but the documentary showed a serious side of these guys and you got to see who was really behind the mask if you will so there's yeah. been serious interviews as well but then they can go back being blothar and being jismac and being balsack and having a great time with it coming up with these elaborate we've humanized the aliens it's funny because like one of my favorite bands to work with is ghoul for kind of the same reason where like we were marketing this ghoul record this i was doing like a ghoul live album and i think the tagline was it's like a best of but faster and shittier <laughs> that's great that's awesome yeah and it's just like you gotta have fun yeah absolutely we should know that we're fortunate that we get to work in this industry where there's people that are going to work every day doing the same thing over and over and over again. But we get to be creative and come up with different ideas. And that's not just with Guar, that's with every client that we have. And it's get to go to shows, get to meet people, get people out there to cover the shows. We need to be appreciative of that because there's a lot of people that don't have the gigs that we do. Yeah, which is like, 
my girlfriend talks to me about her job. She's an academic. And I'm like, wow, there's like people whose lives don't revolve around knowing every Led Zeppelin fact. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. <huh. laughs> That's scary. Yeah, it's true, man. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I didn't know when I went to college or whatever, I thought I was, I was majoring in business. And then I started doing the radio and I was like, man, this is where I want to be. And then it just kind of went from, do I want to be on air? Do I want to help promote it? And because I never played an instrument or anything, I was like, you know, getting these bands out there to people, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And it's just gone from there. It's grown from there. The company's grown from there. Um, you know, I've got David McDonald working with us now. Uh, he's been working with us for four years, senior publicist. Uh, I've got my wife, Heather Freeman, is working in the company as well. She's doing a ton of stuff. And it's just continuing to expand. And I mean, hell, the way we keep going, we might need some more people. Might be calling you for some stuff, buddy. So what I want your input on, what do you think makes people connect with an artist, right? Like you're talking about, you talked about telling sort of the larger story, but obviously, you know, you and I have both dealt with people who have a, a larger story that's not, that we both kind of knew wasn't going to work. What's that thin slicing? Where do you know, like, that story will work, that story won't work? How do you know the the tardy brother meow militia thing works versus some of the other stories people try to tell? That's an interesting question because I think there's different uh, aspects to that. Some of yeah. it is your rela relationships and being doing the PR for the 13 years. I know, like, this person's going to like this. This person sure. might like that. This person, you know, yeah. couldn't care less. Uh, and I've created and maintain these relationships over the years. So like, if I know that you are not going to like this prog band, I'm not going to throw it at you because it's just not going to be worth your time. But it's a lot of, you know, guessing and checking and, you know, really feeling things out. And I feel like listening to this music, like when I listen to it, I can get an idea of who I think would like it, what I think, you know, how it'll work. And again, you know, like you said, going back to the story, like we've got a band called uh, Hammerhead, which are three kids from the Midwest. The oldest one's 20. And, you know, they're three brothers. And that's interesting right there. Um, you know, they toured with Inflames. They've got a bunch of stuff coming up. But yeah, like it's... And then, you know, it, it's coming up with different things. Like I'll, I'll talk to the artists and I have a, a thing that they'll fill out and like I'll get different facts and ideas from them and you know, we come up with more stuff there, but I mean, a lot of it sometimes is just getting people to listen to the stuff. And if the people, it goes back to the relationships. If you have a good relationship with those people, this journalist might listen to this because you told them to. And if somebody else Absolutely. told them, maybe they won't. That's that. It really comes down to that. You know, like knowing the editors, knowing the freelancers, you know, uh, really keeping your, your relationships and knowing people and, that I'd say that's a big part of it. So just to use U.S. metal as an example, right? Sometimes I feel like bands are sort of running into this wall of there's like six publications that genuinely matter. And then everything else is sort of like window dressing. And it sounds like your strategy to kind of build to, to circumvent that is to just go broader and to get people on CNN and stuff. Like, how do you deal with that idea? Right. Because I feel like when you look at the promotional campaign for Capra, who I manage, like 80, you know, there was a lot of value to that, but 80% of the value came in the top six results, you know, and where do you sit on that? I don't know. Again, interesting. And, you know, I, I see what you're saying with the top six and stuff like that, but there are, you know, different outlets that do matter as well. I mean, sure. You have your tastemakers, 
but there are those smaller blogs. And if you're a younger band, you should be talking to these people because sure. people are reading them. People are looking at these things. Sure. You know, maybe if you're Metallica, you know, you're not going to talk to John Freeman's blog at wherever, but if you're an up and coming band, you got to build your story. You got to start somewhere. So you, you start small and you go big. I mean, I always like to say quality over quantity, but at some point, you know, you got to start, like you got to start somewhere. So you, you, you are a bunch of these smaller blogs. And there are some more smaller things, but, and there's regional stuff too. Like if a band's touring, yeah. a tour press is a massive thing. It's a hard sell because there's so many bands on tour, but that's what we got to do. We got to talk to the, the journalists that write for the papers that write for those regional websites as well, because then that's somewhere else that that band is getting noticed. Absolutely. I think, and I, and the other piece I've always thought I've always viewed with that is like, those smaller blogs are generally being read by like the true nerds. Exactly. Exactly. And like, those are the people who are most likely to check out a new band anyway. Right. And uh, also, I mean, it's just getting on the playlist. I mean, that's easier said than done too. I mean, we, we don't necessarily pitch Spotify playlists themselves, but all these curated playlists from said outlets, like uh, a decibel playlist or a metal sucks playlist or loud wires, weekly wire, you know, it's, People may not think like, oh, getting on here is a big deal. It is a big deal because that's where a lot of these kids get their music. They listen to say what's new, you know? So that's that's another thing that, you know, we've really been kind of getting into as well. And I mean, it could be anybody, the smaller blogs, if they have those readers, but they also have a playlist that they curate, kids are going to listen to it. You got to start somewhere. And then it just, you got to build the story. Each campaign, I think it just gets bigger and bigger. Right. So like, so you view it more in sort of like that almost old school advertising, I, I mean, and really accurate advertising idea where like you have, when you see the brands that really succeed, they've been telling the same story for like 30 years, right? Like Corona has sort of had this like vacation identity going back to like 1995 right. when you have that commercial where they're like skipping the pager across the water. I, I'm like a really big, ad, you know, you know, I'm an advertising nerd. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I, I mean that, so that's sort of your viewpoint is you're trying to build up the same story consistently over a decade or more. Yes and no, I mean, sure. But it, it also, again, depends on, you know, the band and depends on the style and what we can do with it. Sure, we want to build a bigger story. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I do agree with what you're saying there. But again, going back to the outside of the box, if you get a big hit early, that's awesome. You get, get a big press hit at the beginning of the campaign, you know, they're like, wow, we got this huge thing right now. And this is a baby band. And that happens as well. Uh, there's, I don't really think philosophy wise, there's no real, like, basically, I, I would say, you know, publicity at its core, kind of like, a, it's driven by a spirit of collaborating with everybody at the table. Yeah. That's like me talking to the people that work before me, me talking to the bands, me talking to the managers. And that's really what's going on. You know, you're taking an inventory, getting a sense of what each client and each like colleagues, what their needs are. And that's me asking a lot of questions, taking in that feedback. And like you would know anything marketing, you got to teach people the rules of the game and it affords them the opportunity to do their role in the process better. It's a team game. And that's another thing that I'm really adamant about is having open communication between the bands and between, you know, us and management. And uh, a big difference, I'd say, in uh, the metal audience, you know, it's um, that's such a big say in what takes off. 
and uh, you know, also, often with an like an iconoclastic mindset. And uh, yeah, the um, the metal genre itself rewards you for playing it safe or being universally liked. Or they don't. Sorry, they don't reward you for being playing it safe. They want something different. Metal, more than really any other genre, is really defined by being a true fan. Yep. And I think that when you stray from that path, you know, or, or it doesn't feel like you have to be a true fan to like this thing, then people are just going to not like it. Agreed. Okay, so so we've kind of hit some of the key pieces I wanted to kind of touch on with you, but you brought up something interesting there where you talked about teaching the rules of the game. What does that mean? It means, you know, you'll get people to come to you and they'll just want things to go their way. Like, I want this to happen. I want this to happen. I want that to happen. You got to really show them how these things work. Like you're not going to put out a record and be like, okay, I want it to be number one. You're going to get this thing. You're going to get this music to people. They'll listen. And you're slowly, as again, we go back to building the story. Those are the rules of the game. The rules of the game is you start at the bottom and you work your way up. You play local shows, you get on, you know, gigs, you get, you know, touring opportunities you're, you know, you're getting your music to people to possibly get a record deal, or if you're doing it independent, you know, you're, you're putting it together. You, you're just not handed it on a silver platter. Right. You gotta, really, the rules are putting in your dues. That's that's a lot of what it is. I mean, it's putting in your dues. And uh, you don't necessarily want to play by the rules all the time. You definitely want to break them. But if you kind of follow, you know, the path, it really kind of helps with what you're trying to do. Yeah, that's fair. What were you like as a kid? Yeah, pretty decent in school. Uh, I always liked music. That was like a big thing. Like I told you earlier, my dad brought me up listening to like, you know, classic rock, like Yes and Zeppelin and stuff like that. Um, I was always into, you know, going to the movies and going to shows. Like I think like my first show was with my dad was Yes when I was like, five years old or something and uh that's awesome you know gone through that yeah um i credit my dad for a lot of the uh the music and things you know i like doing team sports i was you know more like club doing stuff with friends like you know friends not necessarily like on the high school teams or whatever i was always a sarcastic one i always like to have fun just outgoing and um yeah just sometimes i wanted to be the life of the party sometimes i wanted to like lay back a little bit but I was a good kid, had a good childhood, good parents. So even like pre-college, you said you studied business, but you did have this sense of like, wow, music is like something I'm like about. When Here, I'll give you a brief story. When uh, we are from New Jersey, and when we moved down to North Carolina, when I was like 14, my dad had a job transferred. So it was like right before eighth grade. And we moved over the summer, and I didn't know any kids really. I mean, you'd go out, you meet the neighborhood kids, whatever. But I started listening to the radio a lot and it was like a rock station. And then I was like, well, hey, this is really cool. Maybe I could do something like this. And I would call in and win shit like all the time. Like I would win tickets. I would win CDs, whatever. And I became friendly with a couple of the DJs just from calling in a lot. And one actually kind of became a mentor. And she was like, you know, if you really want to do this, do it. And, um, you know, I ended up going to college and my parents were like, you know, you're not going to make any money doing radio, whatever. But I started at the college radio station. I realized I hated business. And then I moved over into communications. So I've always known that I wanted to do something. I thought I was going to be the on air guy or whatever it was. But 
it slowly shifted into the promoting of stuff. And I realized that was like more fun to me. Cause like I said, I did radio. I, I did host the morning show. I did do all that. It was cool. But I was also the promotions director at the radio station. Like we were coming up with the ideas for the contest to give away the tickets and stuff like that. Like um, Brickyard 500 tickets. We did the kiss my bricks contest where you had to have, keep your lips on the brick for however, you know, however long, like people do that with the car and stuff like that. Keep your hand on the car for as long as you can. And the person yeah. who keeps their hand on the car longest wins just coming up with ideas like that. And that's kind of like rolled over into this coming up with different creative ideas as well. Uh, but yeah, it, I've always wanted to kind of do something in the music industry and it really kind of popped in college when I started doing the radio stuff, but then doing the promotions. And then I was a station manager for a year and it just kind of segued into the PR end of things. Right. I didn't know if I, I, I didn't know that I was going to have my own company. I always kind of felt like I might be working for the man. But I, I will tell you, having your own company affords you a lot of freedom, and it, it's great. But you still have bosses. You still have responsibility. Your responsibility is to these clients to keep them happy, A, and to make sure they're getting what they're paying for. So, yeah. Absolutely. Long, long story short, I wanted to be in music in some way, shape, or form, and I knew it wasn't playing because I couldn't play for a shit. Once I tried trombone in fourth grade, done. <laughs> I have, That's a good story about going and winning everything on the radio shows that's pretty funny Dude, yeah i used to call in and like we would talk and i even worked at uh, i was working at mcdonald's and like when i would go um pick up uh, stuff that i won i would bring them happy meal toys like there's like oh it's good. the one still brings up the story about the french fry phone just like shit like that i never thought yeah, that would really get me anywhere but it was just fun you know and then obviously sure. i met more kids and had friends but i still listened to the radio station and uh yeah i still talk to that one person to today actually that's really cool that that like interesting trajectory of how things have kind of gone yeah and i also think that like when you're really living this like i have similar situations with people who i met at 14 15 who i like still work with on a daily basis in at least one case and it's like, right. I, but I don't know. I feel like if you're like committed to this thing, that just sort of happens. Yeah. You know, I, I agree. Like, again, when I was in college, you know, I mean, we had some shows around there, but I, I remember driving all the time to go to shows like we went to, to Charlotte and Raleigh, like we we're doing two, three hour drives, you know, just to go to shows. And then like, you know, I was doing the interviewing of the bands while I was in college. Like we would drive out you yeah. know, to do that. And I just I, I had the desire. I had the drive i wanted to go out there and do it i could have sat around and done nothing but like we put in the time and the effort i would you know when i was promotions director call these clubs that we didn't have a relationship with and start a relationship which kind of like i guess that comes back to you know the pr again it's like you're starting relationships you're maintaining relationships with these different people but yeah like you know we'd be like hey we'll give you x advertising and we can give away tickets to such and such show and this hadn't been done before at the college radio station and some to the effect at the commercial radio station. So there's always been that drive. I've always had that drive to get stuff going, not just to like sit there and let things kind of happen themselves. Absolutely. Is I know you said you had notes prepared. Is there anything you want to talk about before we wrap this up? <laughs> oh, let's see. Um, just some things I've seen, like uh, changes, you know, over the past 13 years from the company. Obviously, we've seen less print, 
definitely going more digital and like how I mentioned the long form podcast and stuff like that. And then again, out of the box, one thing I wanted to bring up in particular, and we go back to uh, obituary was there was this story that came out about how, and this was on NPR, the death metal or bats make a sound similar to a death metal growl. Oh yeah. And the, the fact that, you know, NPR wanted to interview John Tardy about that is, is fantastic. Like, there's all these different things that we've come up with and done. And NPR has been a, a great one too. I mean, who would think that, you know, NPR is putting, uh, doing, um, you know, all things considered on Guar or doing, you know, they did uh, where they went to Richmond and they covered the pit and everything. And it's been great. I mean, I just got to say, like, I've had a, a lot of clients over the years. They can be independent bands, could be, you know, labels that we're on retainers with, like, you know, SPV we've worked with for 13 years. Napalm we've worked with for 10 years. I worked with Relapse. We've worked with Frontiers for a long time as well. That's where I get like my Dynasty Young, my White Snake. Like we had done a lot of stuff with, you know, and, and like I said before, it's great to go from like White Snake to Alan Parsons to everywhere else. But it's music PR is an ever changing business and you never want to sit and rest on your laurels. And I think that we're not. We're coming up with different things, we're coming up with different ideas. Uh, my team is wonderful. I can't, you know, say enough about them. And uh, I just look forward to another 13 more years. I wish I could have had my 10th year anniversary party. It was supposed to be March 29th, 2020. Whoops. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> everything shut down right before that. But uh, we're going to try to do something soon. I don't know if it'll be a party or what it's going to be, but you better be a part of it, Mr. Bacon. That's all I got to say about that. I will make sure I'm in America that day. Or I'll come to Germany. I mean, you could do the civilized thing and come to Germany. That's that's it. That's what I'll do. I like going there, too. That's another thing that's going you know, I have a lot of European labels when I get to go over there and meet those people and put a face with a name and actually get to spend some time with them, go to the festivals like you do a lot. Like I know that we've been to Roadburn and all these other things, but music is not just U.S. It's, it's a global thing. And the fact that I'm able to work with these European labels and go over there and talk to them, it's very fortunate, you know? No, that's something I always appreciated about you that I took a lesson from and kind of applied to my own businesses. Like a lot of these Euro labels, like don't have someone who knows what's up in America and there's like a huge market there. Yep. You know, like I, I get to work, I get to do like a lot of very high level work with Apocalyptica because I'm the only person on the team who lives in America. I feel like that's underrated in the States is the power of Euro metal and that sort of audience. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I do think it, it has gotten bigger. I mean, you can see it at the shows. Um, a great example now is a band that hadn't come over here yet and is huge in Europe and is finally coming over to the States. And that's Napalm artist Powerwolf. Yeah. I mean, they're massive in Europe and we've really gotten them a lot of great stuff here. And now they've announced the U.S. shows. And guess what? Those shows are selling out. And they're in like big rooms, too. The New York show sold out. Pretty, yeah, they're not little rooms and they have a full production. Like it's going to be a big deal. And uh, it's, it's, you, you can see it's, it's evident right there. I mean, it matters. People care about these bands here too. Well, they may not be, you know, all over the TV or whatever. I mean, the, the listeners want it. There is the press there. And I mean, it's powerful proof in the pudding, if you will. Absolutely. That was definitely a band I always thought was like too silly for the U.S., and it's like, no, because there's a whole separate audience that isn't the, like, cool guy. You can't have a band that's... You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think there's a band that's too silly at all, man. I mean, hell, work with Guar. We have much yeah. silly fun all the time. 
So, yeah, I mean, every band has a story to tell. Every band's got something unique. And that's what we like to, you know, work with and really help get it out there and get it to people. Absolutely. Any final words of wisdom before we wrap this up? Working in this industry has been great. Growing in this industry has been awesome. Making these connections with the journalists and with folks like yourself has been really rewarding. And uh, it's just something that I want to continue to do and continue to, uh, you know, succeed at, get bigger and better and keep going on. Let's have another 13 years. I'll be, I don't know, I'd be like 52 then, getting old. But uh, yeah, it'd be great. So thank you for having me, man. And, and, you know, I'd love to do this again in the future. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll be back uh, next week. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.